Please turn with me in your Bibles now to Acts chapter 9. We just sang uh, Psalm 16d at Ron's request. Ron so wishes he could be here with you all, and I can't tell you how much of a blessing it is to visit with that man in his condition right now. His heart is for you all. (laughs) Uh, As his body fails him, this is his trust, what we have just sung and how much he wished he could be here with you all. He's worshiping with us, as it were, watching online. His heart is here with us. And this morning, we turn in the book of Acts to a passage in which Peter restores a paralyzed man to full health. And then he even goes and he prays at the bedside of a woman who has died, and he raises her from the dead. can't think of a Another passage that in the providence of God is more appropriate for us to consider as uh, we are are in the process of saying goodbye to one of our beloved fathers and brothers in the faith. We come to this text and we see these miraculous healings and we might ask the question, what's in it for us today today? I mean, are we expect to see the same sort of things? Are we to see an apostle come by and to restore a man to full health or to raise the dead? What is meant for us in the church today now with the apostles now ended to see this apostle healing, as it were, in the life of the early church? Well, that's going to be our consideration today as there is so much for us to be encouraged by by this text today. I'm going to begin our reading back at verse 31. We considered that two weeks ago, considering the peace of the church, the edification and the multiplication of the church. And then we turn our attention uh, to Peter's ongoing ministry among the church. So let's give our careful attention now to the word of God. Acts chapter 9, beginning at verse 31. This is the word of God. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace. And was being built up, and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. Now as Peter went here and there among them all, he came down also to the saints who lived at Lydda. There he found a man named Aeneas bedridden for eight years, who was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. And immediately he rose, and all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. Now there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. She was full of good works and acts of charity. In those days she became ill and died. And when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him, urging him, Please come to us without delay. So Peter rose and went with them. And when he arrived, they took him to the upper room. All the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas made while she was with them. But Peter put them all outside. And knelt down and prayed, and turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up, and he gave her his hand and raised her up. Then calling the saints and widows, he presented her 
alive. And it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. And he stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon, a tanner. Amen. This is the word of God. Boys and girls, do you know what sign language is? Have you ever seen someone using sign language? Perhaps some of you even know a little bit of sign language. So what is it? What is sign language? Well, ordinarily, I commu- or we communicate just as I am now. Ordinarily, we use our voices to communicate words and ideas, and we use our ears to hear and to receive and to interpret those words. But sometimes one's voice does not work properly. Sometimes one's ears do not work properly, and in those sets of circumstances, then we must use something like sign language to communicate in another way. These folks use signs to visually communicate the words and the ideas contained in their message. Well, if you have ever watched or even communicated with somebody who is dependent upon sign language, perhaps you have noticed something that I have as well. People who use sign language often communicate in a way that is very, very expressive. You see so easily both in their their facial expressions and in the ways in which they employ their signs all of the different emotions behind their message. Sign language is often very expressive and it often visually reflects the emotions of their message. And so, in this way, sign language can at times be more animated, more emotional, or even more meaningful than an ordinary form of communication. Sometimes signs can communicate in a way that highlights or emphasizes the meaning of the message with pictures that go far beyond words. Well, that is what we have here in our text. Here we have God's word speaking to us as it were in sign language. Here in our text, the pictures of the gospel shine forth with a brilliant radiance. But as you saw or heard as I read the text, the message is not given in words per se. Nowhere does Peter here in our text articulate the gospel with his words. But instead, by the leading of the Holy Spirit, his actions actually paint a very vivid picture in which we see the message of the gospel that he faithfully proclaimed. Now, just to be clear, this text should not then become the occasion for us to argue that we should ordinarily communicate the gospel without words. You have probably heard it repeated, that old saying, preach the gospel wherever you go, and if necessary, use words. That saying is often attributed to St. Francis of Assisi, but there's actually little evidence that he ever said it. The idea is itself not biblical. The good news of Jesus Christ is a message that must be communicated, and ordinarily we communicate that message with our words. And so this text is not meant to become the occasion for us to say, well, I communicate the message of the gospel without my words. But instead, these beautiful pictures that communicate to us two realities of the gospel, these two pictures are meant to fill our hearts today to overflowing. 
These two pictures are meant to cause us to look forward to the promises of gospel realities given to each and every believer in Jesus Christ. These pictures are to cause our hearts to overflow so that as Psalm 96 says, we will tell of God's salvation from day to day. So what is the significance of these two signs? Why does God here give to us the gospel in sign language? What are we meant to perceive and to appreciate in these pictures? At first, we see the apostle Peter finding a paralyzed man. And then second, we, find, we see him going to a woman who has died. Through the apostle Peter, the Lord Jesus performs the miraculous to restore a man that is broken and to resurrect a woman who has died. And in these two pictures, we have before us two great and glorious gospel realities. So what is the significance of these signs? Well, let's begin with the first. Let's consider first the gospel promise of restoration. The gospel promise of restoration. Our passage begins by describing Peter's ministry. He went here and there, in and out, among the churches. And as he came down to the saints at Lydda, the text says that he found this man named Aeneas. Aeneas has been paralyzed for eight years. He has been bound to his bed for eight long years. And so right away we need to notice two things from the text. The first is that Peter found Aeneas. Peter did not stumble upon Aeneas. This was not just some coincidence. Instead, as Peter was going here and there among the churches, he went as one seeking those in need. He went as one who was looking for those who were in need of mercy, and that is why Peter found Aeneas. But then second, we also need to see and to appreciate the miserable estate of this man named Aeneas. Before we can glory in his restoration, we need to appreciate his miserable distortion. The text tells us that he is paralyzed, and because of his paralysis, He has been bound to his own bed for eight long years. And so we see in Aeneas the picture of a man who is in in a miserable estate and unable to do anything else about it. As a paralyzed man, this man's body is broken. His body does not work in the right way. His body doesn't work in the way that God intended it to. And so instead of being able to live a life in which he provides for himself and for others, this man must probably beg or at least rely upon the mercy of others. He is helpless. He can't go out and provide for himself, and he can't do anything to change his own current condition. And so being broken and helpless, he's also hopeless. He doesn't know a doctor who can do anything about his need. He has probably searched high and low looking for somebody who can do something about his condition. He probably actually believed some who gave him false hope at times. And he's probably been disappointed at various times with a lack of healing 
For eight long years, he has been bound to his bed. He is now hopeless because he has been dominated day by day by his brokenness. His life is so far from what it ought to be. And so he suffers each day with this distortion of his reality because he knows this is not the way that things were meant to be. So here Peter found Aeneas when he came to Lydda. And as soon as Peter finds Aeneas, Peter looks upon him and he says, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. And beautifully, the text simply says, and immediately he rose. Just like that, this hopeless man is fully restored at the command of, of Christ. This man was restored. And so we need to note three things about his restoration. First of all, notice that it was mediated. Peter did not heal Aeneas. Instead, Peter is very careful to communicate here that he is but the empty vessel through which the risen Lord Jesus Christ healed Aeneas. This restoration work was clearly the work of the risen Christ. So second, notice that this healing comes by way of the word of God. Peter simply spoke as a herald of the king. Peter simply spoke as one who was delivering the words of another, and that is how Jesus then accomplished his purpose uh, through Peter. And so third, notice that this Restoration was powerful. This isn't ordinary. This is not done by way of the care of a doctor. This is not a physician coming by to set a bone into place so that it may heal. No, instead, this is the risen and reigning King Jesus speaking life into that which was dead. This man was completely paralyzed. He was broken when suddenly the word of God powerfully restored life to limbs that were otherwise dead. And so we have here in this a picture of a powerful restoration. Just put yourselves in the place of this paralyzed man. Imagine that your life for the last eight years has been marked by your brokenness. You know that things are not the way that they ought to be. You know that your body is, in, is intended to function according to God's design, but it is broken. And you know that there is nothing that you can do about it. You are frustrated day in and day out because things are simply out of place. And over time you lose hope. No one can change your estate. It has been so very long. And so we might imagine this man throughout these years, day after day after day, growing closer and closer to despair. Why even continue living surrounded by the sad effects of sin? Why carry on when there is no hope? But then suddenly, according to God's sovereign plan, the word of God is sent powerfully. In a moment, according to God's design to powerfully restore, the call of Christ comes to Aeneas. Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. 
And in that moment, that broken, helpless, and hopeless man has his wildest dreams come true. His legs gain strength and he stands. He hasn't been able to stand for eight long years. And suddenly, at the command of Christ, he does what he could not do. He rises. So what are we meant to see here in God's word today? How how, how does this text apply to any of us today? Is this text meant meant to make us look as God's people for the same kind of miraculous today? Are we to look for the same sorts of restoration? Or are we meant to see in this text the message of so much more? Well, just a moment's meditation upon the text actually reveals the answer. First of all, notice that this restoration is itself temporary. What do I mean? Well, I I mean that this man's restoration to full health only lasted as long as God had determined his days. He was restored here to full health, but at some point in his life, his health began to fail him again. And so second... We need to note that what we need to note what Jesus carefully purposed in this event. If your Bible's still open there, look at verse 35. And all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. I wonder as we read, which of these two miracles meant more to you as we considered the text? Was it the restoration of a paralyzed man? Or the residents of Lydda and Sharon coming to know Christ. Which of these is the greater miracle? You see, there was a greater purpose behind the picture of restoration. Here the Lord Jesus wanted a wide audience to see illustrated in 3D what a gospel restoration might look like. And so seeing this physical restoration and even greater restoration then took place within the hearts and souls of the residents of Lydda when they all turned to the Lord. What took place physically in that one man anticipated what then happened within the residents who turned to the Lord. And so brothers and sisters, what we see here within the body of this one man is a picture of the spiritual realities promised to us in the gospel. This man's body was broken. And we all know what it is like to live in brokenness, spiritually speaking. We all know what it is like to live in a world that is broken by sin. We all know what it's like to live in a world surrounded by the various distortions due to sin. This distortion affects your physical body today. This distortion affects your mind. This distortion affects your heart. This distortion affects all of your relationships. And it even affects life in the created world. This distortion due to sin surrounds you in every arena of your life. This brokenness characterizes so much of life all around us. And like this man, it can leave us with a sense of helplessness and a hopelessness apart from Christ. This brokenness is inside of you, and this brokenness is all around you. And that is why the Holy Spirit comes to you today by way of God's word, 
to set before you this glorious picture of the risen Christ's power to restore. And so get this, this wonderful restoration in this text, it is just a tiny glimpse of what Christ plans to do for you. This restoration is a tiny foretaste of what Jesus has planned for each of you who belong to Christ. Consider these words of restoration as they are found in Psalm 103. And we're going to sing this psalm together in a moment. The psalm begins, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. The psalm begins saying, There is something that should cause every fiber of your being to bless the Lord. The psalm goes on, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. The psalm adds, We are prone to forgetting. We are prone in this life to losing sight of what has been promised to us in Christ. And then the psalm unleashes with those promises. Listen to the words of restoration. Who forgives all your iniquities. Who heals all your diseases. Who redeems your life from the pit. Who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. Who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. That is a promise of full and final restoration. And this is promised to each of you who is trusting in Jesus Christ. Listen, you know nothing in this life. You have known nothing other than life in a world that is distorted due to sin. But what God promises you in the gospel is the full and final restoration of all things. And so, brothers and sisters, we are meant to set the eyes of faith this morning upon this man's temporary restoration so that we will anticipate our own full and final eternal restoration. Here the Lord Jesus sets before us in sign language the promise of the gospel to restore so that we will today dream and wonder at eternity. What will it be like when all things are put back into place? What will it be like when there is no more sin or suffering? No more disease or brokenness of body? What will it be like when everything is fully restored? Here the Lord Jesus wants us to dream. Here the Lord Jesus wants us to wonder. He has given you today to set aside everything else so that you might explore, as it were, with the word of God, the promise of restoration. Listen, if you know Christ right now, this restoration has already begun in you. We heard it in our prayer this morning. You are dead in trespasses and sins, but, but God has made you alive together with Christ. He has, in fact, seated you in the heavenly places with Christ. This restoration has already begun. And the one who began it in you promises to carry it out to completion. So what are we to expect with regard to this restoration? Well, that brings us to consider second. The gospel promise of resurrection. 
The gospel promise of resurrection, our text continues then by introducing us to this woman named Dorcas or Tabitha. And the text tells us of her godliness, she was full of good works and charity. This woman grew ill and she died. And since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples there sent two men to Peter, urging him to come quickly. Peter came and when he arrived, they took Peter to the upper room. They showed to Peter her body. And there the widows were weeping and they were showing off all of the various garments that Dorcas had made. And then Peter put everyone outside. And he knelt down next to her body and he pleaded with the Lord. And then he turned to her body and simply said, Tabitha, arise. Immediately she opened her eyes. She looks over to Peter, sees him and she sits up. She has no idea what's going on. Peter offers her his hand. She takes it. He raises her to her feet. And then he goes and he gets everybody and he presents to them Dorcas who was dead. She is now alive. But once again, we need to note that this resurrection is mediated. This is why Peter carefully prays. He seeks the Lord Jesus. This is not Peter's work. This is Jesus' work. Lord, if it be your will, give life to Dorcas. And Jesus decides to give life to Dorcas. This is intended to make crystal clear that this resurrection work is the work of none other than King Jesus. Second, again, as with before, we need to notice that this comes by way of the word of God. Peter is not speaking on his own accord. Instead, he is speaking as an apostle. He is a herald of the risen king. He is only a messenger. And the reason why his message comes with authority is because it comes from Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And so third, notice, as with earlier, the power of this word. There is only one who can speak with this kind of power and authority. In the beginning, he spoke all things into existence. He breathed life into every living thing. And so as we see death overcome this one woman, it is only the powerful living word of God that comes to breathe new life into her. So again, the same question. What are we meant to see in this resurrection Is this text meant to teach us to go and look for similar resurrections in this world today? Or are we instead to see in this picture the message of so much more? You know the answer. And again, a moment's meditation upon the text reveals the same as it did earlier. Once again, we need to recognize that this resurrection was itself temporary. Yes, Dorcas was truly raised from the dead here. But eventually, as with all others, her health failed her again, and she still died again. So this resurrection was only temporary. And so seeing that this resurrection was temporary, we must conclude that this resurrection is meant to take our minds to so much more. And so second, again, we need to recognize the purpose that Jesus assigned to this event. Look at verse 42. Again, the pattern is the same. And it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. Again, I wonder, as I read the word of God for you this morning, which miracle jumped out at you 
as more spectacular. The healing of Aeneas, the resurrection of Dorcas, or all of these believers who see the gospel illustrated and believe. Once again, there is a greater purpose in the picture that Christ provided. Here again, the Lord Jesus wanted a wide audience to see illustrated this gospel promise. And so seeing the residents, uh, seeing uh, this temporary resurrection and even greater spiritual resurrection then took place within the hearts and lives of these residents of Joppa when they believed in the Lord. What took place when this one woman was resurrected anticipated what happens within the life of everyone who believed. These residents were only moments earlier dead. They too were dead. Dead in their trespasses and sins. But then seeing the promise of the gospel illustrated in Dorcas's life, God made them alive together with Christ. Brothers and sisters, we will all die. Because the wages of sin is death. But here in the word of God, we see the gospel promises restoration by way of resurrection. This is our hope in Jesus Christ. And we need to recognize this hope is true in a twofold sense. First of all, it begins in this life. Again, referencing the same passage I referenced earlier and that was prayed earlier. Ephesians 2 tells us that all of mankind was born dead in trespasses and sins. Each of us, apart from Christ, are dead spiritually speaking. But gloriously, that text continues, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the love with which he loved us, made us alive together with Christ. You see, every believer has experienced, in part, this resurrection. The text itself says we have been raised up with Christ, so much so that we are actually, spiritually speaking, seated with him now in the heavenly places. And so your restoration... And your resurrection actually begin here in this life. Jesus has begun a glorious good work in you. And his promise is to carry it out to completion. Which brings us to then consider, second, how God will bring this restoration and resurrection to completion at the day of Christ. And again, God has given you a day today to simply let your imagination run with the word of God. To see what life is going to be like for you one day in the future. I'm going to read a longer passage from 1 Corinthians 15, but it speaks of the resurrection. Let's listen to the word of God. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come You foolish person, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. For not all flesh is the same, but there is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind, and the glory of the earthly is of another. 
There is one glory of the sun and another glory of the moon and another glory of the stars, for star differs from star in glory. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown perishable is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sowed a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first Adam became a life-giving being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural, and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. And the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, the gospel promises to you restoration by way of resurrection. And this wonderful restoration has begun here. This resurrection has, in fact, begun here for every believer. And it is still offered to any of you who do not yet believe. The promise goes out to you today. If you do not yet know Christ, you you come to him and he restores. And he raises up. And you who are trusting in Christ today cling to that promise that he will bring to completion that good work that he has already begun in you. As we see in the text today, the restoration of this one man to full physical health and the resurrection of this one woman to a temporary life in this world, we are meant to trace these glorious pictures forward regarding our own lives into eternity. For you will be fully restored when you are raised up and you will enjoy that restoration then forever. The sign language of our text is intended to set before us just a glimmer of the brilliance that will surround us all in glory. And so again, I want you to use your imagination today 
to simply rest and rejoice in what we will all together enjoy one day. Just read this text today, time and time again. Revelation 7. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number. From every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures and they fell on their faces before the throne and they worshipped God saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders addressed me saying, Who are these clothed in white robes and from where have they come? I said to him, Sir, you know, and he said, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God. Listen to this restoration. They are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more. Neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. And he will guide them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. That is the hope of gospel resurrection and restoration. Just one more brief passage, another beautiful picture given to us in the Word of God, Revelation 21. Here again, this restoration that you will enjoy one day. You will be there if you're trusting in Christ. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. Again, restoration. The old has passed away. The new has come. The word of God continues. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, again, here, restoration. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He shall wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more. For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. This is yours. Brothers and sisters in Christ, you live in a fallen world. Brokenness is in you and all around you, but one day it's going to give way. And so see here today in God's word both promised restoration and resurrection. And let us by faith trace these realities forward to see what awaits us because of the grace and mercy of God. And then let us worship him. Let us worship these things that are unchangeably ours. Let us love and worship our good God for so great 
a salvation. Let us pray together. Gracious and good God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we love and we worship you. We see here in the text the way that sin brought brokenness into the world and it affected every part of life. Broken bodies, broken relationships, and even life separated from body. And yet we see here in these pictures, in this sign language, as it were, what is promised to us in the gospel. And so we pray that you might help us to see and to appreciate and to wonder and to worship because of what you have promised to us in Christ. Lord, it is so easy for us to get fixated upon all of the cares of this life, and you have called us as your people to be faithful throughout the pilgrim journey. And so we thank you that you have ordered our lives to come and one day set it all aside and to rest and to worship. Lord, I pray for us as a congregation that you would cause us today to revel in your goodness to us. Lord, we face the way that sin breaks things down in this world. We see it all around, and yet you have promised a full and final restoration through the resurrection. Thank you for beginning that good work in each of us. And Lord, we pray that more and more our attention would be fixed upon what you have promised to us, that we would set our minds on things above where Christ is seated, that we might rejoice in you. Lord, cause us as your people to be so fixated upon you that this world looks upon us and wonders what has captured our attention. Help us to encourage one another with these things. Glorify your name, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's turn together in our psalm books to Psalm 103. Before we partake of the Lord's